Well, hello again. If this season has reminded me of something, maybe you've observed this as well. It's something that probably we already knew, but we're seeing it again in sharp focus. It's it's that it's really easy, or it seems to be much easier for us as human beings to focus in on one cause or crisis or concern and to give our energy to that, to be vocal about that, rather than to sort of balance ourselves across a number of crises or causes that are all equally important. I'm not saying that anybody can be a champion for everything because that's just a recipe for exhaustion, but even just kind of having a, a general level of care and concern about a myriad of issues and sometimes competing issues can be really hard. Jesus, in the passage we're going to look at this morning, presents for his disciples what can feel like attention. Uh, I think as we journey, we'll see that it's actually not quite as much of a attention as maybe it seems on the surface, but there is still this invitation to, to live uh, a balanced life as a disciple of Jesus. And so how we're going to approach this morning is by doing a lot of listening. We just talked last week when we were in John chapter 14, we just looked at Jesus uh, beginning to lay out, beginning to explain for his disciples what his departure is going to mean. And, and one of the important, one of the most important things was it was going to signal the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talks about the role that the Spirit is going to have in the disciples' lives and in, in turn in our lives as well. And one of the key things Jesus talks about is that the Spirit is going to bring to mind the things that Jesus said and, and help us to understand them, help us to believe them, help us help those truths to not just stay in our heads, but sink down into our hearts. And so I thought, man, what a great opportunity for us to to sort of lean into that those promises that Jesus made about what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to take lots of breaks. We're going to pause. We're going to listen. Invite the Spirit to speak. We're going to share with each other. I hope you're watching with, with some others and you'll have the chance to kind of discuss. But that's, that's my hope this morning. We can kind of capture the tension that we're going to talk about with a question. And I'm going to give it to you now. It's a bit of a long question, but, but follow me. The question is this. Should we as disciples of Jesus be primarily characterized, primarily known for our slow, deliberate presence with Jesus. Think about the desert fathers or monks throughout church history. Should we be known for that slow, deliberate presence with Jesus? Or should we primarily be characterized by a radical commitment to the Great Commission? That no matter what, we are going to go, we are going to make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nothing's going to stop that. It's an unyielding commitment. You're probably recognizing that the answer to this question is yes. With this one, it's, it's not an either or, it's a both and. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? That's the, the tension that Jesus is going to talk about this morning. That's the balance uh, that we're invited to find as his disciples or to pursue. And so I'm going to pray now, and then we'll get into our text. Let's invite the Spirit to, to help us understand these truths in new ways this morning. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you do what Jesus promised that you would do? We want to listen this morning. We want to understand these truths 
that Jesus gave his disciples there in that room. We want to understand them in new ways and have them uh, affect who we are as people, really um, change us at an identity level, and then we know that that will affect the way that we live. So would you do that this morning, Holy Spirit? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, let's open to John chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 1. John chapter 15, verse 1. Launches it, John launches in with Jesus continuing to speak from back in chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now some background for this metaphor. We recognize, okay, Jesus is introducing us to something new. He says, I am the true vine. So we say, okay, where's this metaphor coming from? And sure enough, there are some references to vines and vineyards and other ancient Near Eastern religious literature or imagery. But what John is actually, what Jesus is actually referencing back, scholars say, is, is he's reaching back into the Old Testament, as he often did. See, there are references in the Old Testament to a vine. Often the vine is, is referring to the people of Israel. But interestingly, almost all those references are talking about Israel's failure to live out the calling that God had given them. One example, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21 says, I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? So the people of Israel in this metaphor are the vine and God is calling them out for their failure to, to live and grow into the purposes that God had for them. So Jesus takes a hold of this metaphor and he recommissions it. He says, hey, I'm actually the true vine. I am what the people of Israel failed to be. And you and I, we're the branches. And so that leads us to a bit of a, a question. How do we feel about this pruning, the cutting that Jesus talks about? Because I don't know if you noticed, but the shears that the gardener wields, they're, they're not optional in this scenario. See, either a branch is going to get cut away for not bearing any fruit, or the gardener is going to come and he's going to use those shears to prune so that a branch may bear more fruit. In other words, the shears are not optional. And friends, this is a crucial truth for those, uh, it's a crucial truth to understand for those people who come to Jesus expecting life to be easy and trouble-free. It's not the promise that we're given. It's also crucial for those of you who might feel like you're in one of those seasons right now, a season of, of suffering that might feel uh, unfair, might feel um, pointless or meaningless. This doesn't take away that, the pain or suffering that you're experiencing, but know that the gardener may be up to something that you might not be able to see in this moment. And so this is our first question, our first pause for reflection. And this is a crucial starting point because if we don't deal with this, then the rest of what Jesus says won't matter. How does it make you feel to hear this statement? The Christian life isn't about our comfort. It's actually about God's glory and our good. 
How does it make you feel to hear that? The Christian life isn't about our comfort. It's about God's glory and our good. Take a moment, pause, reflect, invite the Spirit to speak to you. And maybe after a little bit of silence, share, if you're watching with some folks, share what what comes to mind. Okay, let's jump back in. Quickly before we move on to the next set of verses, you know, we might ask the question, who are these branches that Jesus says are in him and yet are still being cut off? You know, are these true believers, true disciples who have have somehow turned and fallen away? I don't think so. That would cut against the grain of what John says in the rest of his gospel. I I think what Jesus is simply trying to state is that true believers will always bear fruit. D.A. Carson says it this way in, in his commentary. He says, The transparent purpose of the verse is to insist that there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. Fruitfulness is an infallible mark of true Christianity. The alternative is dead wood. End quote. So now, just a quick note on verse 3, which can feel out of place. Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. We might be thinking, how does that fit in with what Jesus said? What we're missing there is is how the Greek sort of uses this same family of words all along. When he talks about pruning, when he talks about cutting away, when he talks about being clean. An English word that kind of gets at this a little bit more for us would be purifying. right? Sometimes purifying is taking something out. Sometimes it's cleaning what's there. And he says, already you are pure, right? He's, he's referencing back to that moment with the foot washing where Peter says, you know, wash all of me. And Jesus says, hey, if you've bathed, you're already clean. But, you know, you return for these, these regular sort of small washings, these confessions and repentance. Look at verse four now. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here into this metaphor, Jesus introduces this new word of abiding. And this can feel like a bit of a Christianese word, can it? Because it's not one that we use in our modern vernacular too often. It's for that reason that one commentator, Frederick Bruner, he has a translation that kind of goes with his commentary. And he says, he translates the the word in Greek, he says, make your home with me. Make a home with me. And think about that, that Jesus makes that invitation to us to make our home with him. 
as I was preparing this week, I was reminded of a time uh, during my university years, actually just before my fourth year, my final year of university, one of my good friends, Ross, asked me if I'd like to come and live with him. His aunt and uncle lived just off campus in this very cool house. And they had this whole basement that they usually gave to students. I had been up there with him in years past, hanging out with other students that at, the, at that time lived in the basement. And, and then it was open and he said, hey, I've been offered the, the basement. Do you want to come and live with me? And I said, yeah, of course I do. Like, that's an awesome spot. It would be so fun to live with you. It, it just felt like a huge honor that he would make that invitation to me. And as I was reminded of that feeling, I thought, man, that's just a fractional, a fractional sense of the honor that we ought to feel at Jesus inviting us to make our home with him. So this is our next question. How does it make you feel that Jesus invites you to make a home with him? Not just to serve him, though he deserves that, and not just to obey him, though we ought to, but to make a home with him. How does it make you feel? Pause, reflect, invite the Spirit to speak to you and, and maybe share with those with you. Now let's look at verse 6. Jesus gives us the alternative to this. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Again, we're, we're kind of asking ourselves, who are these branches? Well, we all know that there are those who have the opportunity to live, to make a home with Jesus. They have this, this encounter with Jesus. Jesus' home, his family, they have this opportunity to take up residence with him, and, and, and they reject that opportunity. You know, a, a poignant example which the disciples, or the readers at least of John's gospel, would likely be thinking of would be Judas, who had just gone out, had just rejected the company of, of the disciples. And for that group of people, judgment awaits. Jesus is clear. Look now at verse 7. Jesus goes on, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. These are pretty powerful truths, truths that Jesus is speaking here. But if we follow along with Jesus' train of thought as, as best we can, it, it, it we actually start to recognize that Though they are powerful truths, in some ways they're just kind of a natural, the natural reality of things. Jesus says, hey, if our identity is truly wrapped up in him, the way that a branch 
is utterly dependent on a vine, then the gospel message that Jesus taught and lived will be the foundation of our lives. His words will have permanent residency in our hearts and minds, and they'll be the filter through which we see the world. And then if that's the case, the things that we desire, the things that you and I desire, will be the things that strengthen the vine and cause it to flourish. And those will be the things that we pray for. And of course, Jesus will honor those prayers, won't he? Because those prayers, in answering them, it means the good of the whole vine and all the branches. And when the vine flourishes, Jesus says, the gardener is brought honor and glory. How could he not be? Again, as I was preparing, I was reminded of my neighbor, Kiki. Kiki and Carl live across the street from us, and Kiki is a master gardener. And if you've ever driven by her home, you know this to be true. And lots of people walk up and down our street with uh, dogs and stuff. There's um, great trails at the end of the street. And so people are often stopping because she's out there so often tending this garden. She loves it. She pours time, investment into this garden. And people will stop and, and comment on it and ask her for advice. And you can just see the glory that this brings to Kiki. How could it not, right? She cares so much about that garden. Jesus says this is what the Father experiences when we bear fruit and when we are shaped in the likeness, we as branches are shaped in the likeness of the vine and begin to, pr- to pray, to orient our lives around things that are going to cause the vine to flourish. The gardener, of course, is brought glory through that. And so our third pause, our third question, opportunity for reflection. How does it feel to know, this is perhaps for those of us who in that question that I posed at the very beginning, the, the, the tension. This is perhaps aimed more at those of us who are action-oriented people, who want to just get out and do. How does it feel to know that there is a life of such deep connection to Jesus that every prayer is answered? Because every prayer is the same one that Jesus would pray in that situation. How does it feel to know that Jesus is inviting us to have that kind of relationship with him. Do you have that? Do you feel yourself even on that trajectory? I invite you to stop and reflect. And if you feel comfortable, after a little bit of silence, share what what comes to mind with the people you're with.
Now, if we look at verse 9, we begin to see in some ways what you might call the other side of the, the scale or the, the, the other end of the, the tension, if you will. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So here we kind of, we cut right to the heart of this tension that we, that we started with, that I kind of um, invited you to think about, you know, what should followers of Jesus be characterized by? And here Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, if you remember much of John chapter 14, where we just were over the last couple of weeks, You'll, you might remember John fourteen fifteen, which says a similar thing, but in, uh, in reverse, if you will. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I, you know, how does that make sense? John here in back-to-back chapters gives these statements of Jesus that feel almost contradictory, right? If you commandments, keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The heart of the matter, the, the, the heart of this tension which we're realizing maybe isn't as much of a tension as we always thought. Abiding in Jesus and abounding in the work of Jesus cannot be separated. They're inextricably tied together. Abiding in Jesus and abounding in his work are part and parcel of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so there are those who want to say, let's get out there and do it. Let's 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 be on mission. Do what Jesus told us to do, and and you know we'll meet him sort of on the road, if you will. And there are others who who you know sort of tend in the other direction. They say yes, but you know we need to we need to slow down. We need to be present with Jesus. We need to practice spiritual disciplines. And we recognize, we see what Jesus is saying is that yes, all of those things are true. All of those things are what it means to be a disciple of Him. But we see that they're not actually opposed. They're, they're in partnership. The love that we are invited to take up residence in, abide in my love, make a home in my love, that love that we're invited to take up residence in will generate within us a new way of living that will look more and more like the way that Jesus lived. That's called fruit, friends. And it's fruit that's growing because you are connected to the vine. It's actually the life that you and I were always created to live. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is so gracious with us, friends. See, he's just said, hey, if you want to stay vibrantly connected with me, then, then you need to be doing the things that I told you to do. You know, that's, that's a reflection of your love for me. Jesus, I think, knows our tendency to overwhelm ourselves and to begin to panic. You know, he senses those of us who will start asking questions like, okay, which things do I need to obey? How often do I need to obey them? Like, what's enough? You know, where do I start? Where do I begin? So he, he says, hey, slow down. And he boils this down so simply for us. And we miss actually how much emphasis he gives this in the Greek. It's as though he says it this way. This, this is my commandment. Love one another as I loved you. Love well. 
Imagine going about every day with this prayer, friends. Jesus, you have loved me so well. Let me love the people around me as you have loved me. That to me feels like a fruit bearing prayer. And so our next question for you to pause and reflect on. Do you at times find yourself overcomplicating obedience to Jesus? Do you ever find yourself overcomplicating obedience to Jesus? Do you simply need to resolve to love well? To love your neighbor well, to love the family of God, brothers and sisters well? Do you overcomplicate obedience to Jesus and do you really just need to resolve to love well? Take a moment, pause, reflect. Look now at verse 14. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, but the, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now remember, John in his gospel always resolutely emphasizes the deity of Jesus. So when we first read this verse, it can feel like, wow, this really drops Jesus down to our level. You know, we're friends. Actually, that's not what John's doing. No, Jesus is still king, and yet it changes our position. See, while we still live to serve the king, we get to be called friends of the king. And a defining characteristic, Jesus tells us, of that friendship is that we we get to know what the king is thinking. We get to to understand where the the king would have us go and, and why he'd have us go there. And how does this happen, friends? Through the Spirit, as we learned last week. Through the Spirit, speaking to us, teaching us, bringing things to mind that Jesus said. I was reminded of, of, a, of a period of time where I felt something like this. Again, a, a, a dim example, but there was a period of time where you know my parents had been in ministry for many years, but then my dad became the, the lead pastor at Forward Church in Cambridge. And I remember this change in the way that people would interact with me because all of a sudden I, I had this sense that people were speaking to me a little bit differently. And, and I gradually came to understand that, that for some people, not all, and again, not in every interaction, certainly, but there were times where people were interacting with me as though they sensed that I had you know, a closeness to someone who was making important decisions that would affect the church. And, and either they wanted to know kind of what's behind that decision or, or perhaps even in select moments wanted to influence some things that were going on. Little did they know that I generally had very little knowledge of, of what was uh, behind decisions being made. Um, 
but I had this sense of, wow, I, I, I'm, I'm close. I have this unique relationship with someone who's, who's making significant, important decisions, uh, uh, you know, that affect the, the, the future, the trajectory of this church. And as so often happens, and happened to me at moments, certainly happened to the disciples, we see this throughout the Gospels, that knowledge, or that, uh, that sort of position, that closeness to, to, to Jesus, so often it, it can puff up. The closeness to anybody who, who has uh, authority or power, it can, it can cause us to puff up a little bit with pride, can't it? And so Jesus, because he loves us too much to, to let that just run wild. He puts a pin in that before it can even get off the ground. Look at verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So Jesus says, hey, just in case you feel prideful about the fact that, you know, you get to call me friends, you didn't start this. You know, this knowledge that you have about what I'm doing in the world, you didn't earn that, you know, the way that people earn a degree. (laughs) I chose you. And I chose you that you would bear fruit, that your fruit would abide. See, our, our, our calling from God isn't about privilege. Oh, wow, look at me, chosen by God. It's actually about purpose. Jesus says, I purposed that you would bear fruit. It's about mission, friends. And as we bear fruit, we bring the vine and the vine dresser, the gardener, glory. So our final question is this. Do you value, at times, do you find yourself valuing knowledge about Jesus or about the gospel or about the scriptures more than obedience to Jesus or the gospel or the scriptures? Do you find yourself valuing knowledge about Jesus or, you know, knowing scripture better than anyone else, more than you value obedience to Jesus, living out what the scriptures teach? Take a moment, reflect. Friends, I really do believe that this is a slower season, a season where many of us are hopefully learning to abide more deeply, to take up residence in Jesus' love. But we cannot forget, friends, that this time, if we are learning to abide more deeply, that the purpose, the the goal tied to that is bearing fruit, fruit that will abide. It's connected to us 
loving Jesus more deeply is that the kingdom would grow. New branches would be added to the vine and more and more land territory would fall under the reign of the gardener. More of it would be cultivated towards his purposes. I'm praying for you as you find this balance in your journey of following Jesus. We're going to hear now from... uh... Well, friends, let's pray to close our time together this morning. Jesus, we are overwhelmed by your invitation to us to make a home with you, to take up residence in your love. I pray that for those of us who maybe are more oriented towards just getting out and and doing things in your name, pray that this past season and, and, and maybe um, whatever's left of this slower time that we're in, would we learn how to be present with you more, listening for your voice. And those of us who, who would be content to live in that place always, would, would we all remember that being present with you, abiding with you, must, it will translate into bearing fruit to your, your kingdom expanding towards Guelph looking more like heaven. Pray that you would do that through us, in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.